Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Three Things We Must Do by Pastor Sean Wood. We'll come around God's Word. Father, right now, I just thank you because you're here. You were here before anybody else. Lord, I don't pray for you to turn up. You're already here. What I do ask, Lord God, is that we would become more greatly aware of your wonderful presence. That our eyes would be opened, our hearts would be exposed, that, Lord, as we open your word right now, that you would speak into people's hearts and into people's lives. We ask, Lord, that for every one of us, your word would become living and active to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you uh, got your Bibles, you'd like to meet me in Romans chapter 6. We're going to continue working our way through Romans chapter 6. Um, last week, we spoke about three things that we must know. We'll unpack a little bit more in a moment why that's so important. Today, we're going to talk about three things that Romans 6 tells us that we must do. But the first three things that we must know. First one was, we need to know that we have been united with Christ Paul says in the beginnings of uh, Romans chapter 6, he says, we were united with Christ. We were were planted or we were grafted into Christ. This all sounds like fanciful language, but it's pretty simple. Uh, It's kind of like the apple tree analogy that I gave you last week where uh, a guy I knew had one apple tree that grew four different kinds of apples because they were grafted in. He grafted, amazing how he does this. Uh, But From a distance, looking at that apple tree, you would look at it and say, it's an apple tree. It's got many different apples on it, and it's all comprised of many different apples that were grafted in, but it's one apple tree. And every apple on that tree benefits from the tree, and that's the same as us. We're an apple tree. We've been grafted into Christ. Everything that he has accomplished is now what we have accomplished in him. Now, when God looks at us, he just sees the apple tree. It's Jesus. Then we went on to kind of expose what does it mean to be dead to sin because depending on who you ask, you can get some pretty fanciful answers as to what that means. But Paul says, second thing we must know is that we have been crucified with Christ. And what he's highlighting there is that uh, once you become united to Christ, once you step into Christ, you're now crucified with Christ, which means you have been transferred, transferred from one realm to another. It's, and we use the analogy of uh, a country that's under uh, the rule of a tyrannous dictator. Uh, we used Iraq as an example. But what happened was uh, when the Allied forces came into Iraq and deposed Saddam Hussein and all his militants, all of a sudden Iraq was under a different dominion. They were under a different power. That's what's happened in Christ. Jesus has done that for us. And Paul wants us to know you're now in a different realm. You now are under the dominion of somebody else. You don't have to be enslaved to sin. We're going to unpack that one in a little bit more in a moment. The last one, the most important thing that we must know is, yes, we're dead to sin, but we're alive to God. That's the most important thing. The life that we now live is a life that is alive unto God. Okay, so they're wonderful things to know, Pastor, but, but what do we do about those things? Great questions. We're going to answer those questions. I, I can remember when I was in, a, uh, in primary school, it wasn't really the highlight, but one of our school excursions was to go to Parliament House. 
and we got to see what happened at Parliament House. Who cares, right? I know. But uh, for those that watch Parliament Time on ABC, good luck to you. But um, uh, I remember uh, watching from, we were watching from a balcony. Uh, the Premier was uh, Michael Field at that time. Uh, yeah, glad he was changed. But uh, I can remember standing on the balcony. And what, it, what struck me was uh, at the bottom, you had all these people that were arguing. They were pointing fingers each, at each other. They were calling each other names sometimes. And they were having all these arguments. And, and one said, we must do this. And the other said, we must do that. And although they were all arguing and all these discussions were going on, one guy was in charge. Who's the guy in charge, Jeanette? The Speaker of the House. I believe that Laurie was the Speaker of the House for New South Wales. Is that correct? In the history of New South Wales, yes. Now, the Speaker of the House holds the principal office in Parliament. He makes sure that everybody obeys the rules and he makes sure that all of the conduct is according to the right parameters. He makes sure that everything that's going on. And I can remember when I was on the excursion, I'm listening and they're appealing to the speaker. I appeal to you, Mr. Speaker. And they woke him up. The Tasmanian speaker was probably asleep. Uh, but uh, what, for this guy's in charge, that's the job to have in parliament, the speaker of the house, by the way. And this week when I was reflecting on Romans chapter six, the whole chapter is all about the need for all of us to change the Speaker of the House. What do I mean by that? I mean that at a church level for a start, I'm going to start there, we need to change the Speaker of the House. I remember having a conversation with Neil Bishop. Neil Bishop was born about the same time as Jesus. And <laughs> he's not here, so I can get away with that, right? Everybody knows Neil. <laughs> Everybody knows he's immortal, right? Have a look at him. He's just... Keeps on going. They're up at Coolum at the moment. He will be, and uh, I'll be in a lot of trouble when he does. We love Neil and Pam. Uh, But uh, I remember having a conversation with Neil at a men's breakfast once, and I began to realise something, that what we call acceptable right now today, just in normal society, what we call acceptable today was abhorrable in Neil Bishop's day. In 50 years, the Speaker of the House has fallen asleep. I can remember when I was at high school, <laughs> I remember I was talking to the, yeah, you've got to be careful, I remember when I was at high school, it was only a few, few years ago. I can remember when I was at high school, um, and I was only telling my wife this the other day, uh, the cleaners gave up and struck up a deal with us and said, listen, I'll put a tin in the toilets if you promise never to put your cigarette butts in the urinal. He said, someone's got to pick them up. And I was thinking about that the other day, And, uh, you know, my parents and most likely your parents, I mean, if you smoked at school, you wouldn't have been able to use your hands for a month. (laughs) I had a teacher bust me smoking at school and said, come on, dude, hurry up with you. The lesson's nearly finished. I thought you were in. I'm like, well, hang on a second. I had one teacher confiscate my cigarettes once. I was telling my wife this the other day. He confiscated my cigarettes once. And and I said, listen, I said... uh, you have to give them back. I'm allowed to smoke. And so he says, well, I'm going to ring your foster mother and find out. So he rings my foster mother and she says, for goodness sake, give him his smokes back. He's just going to buy another packet anyway. (laughs) And you can start to understand 
how the scale has slipped. But do you know that that's actually infiltrated? What is acceptable sometimes now, what we have allowed to creep into the church now, was abhorrible 50 years ago. And for good reason. When did church all become about entertainment, by the way? When did, when did church all become about how many people are sitting in the pews? That, that wasn't the first church. You read the epistles of Paul, they loved him one day, they hated him the next. Paul had, Paul had churches of hundreds. When he came back, there was tens. They were living in hard times. But... Before we kind of leave it at the church level, let's bring it down to our own individual level. How often do we watch movies that take the Lord's name in vain and we just keep watching? Just as an example. This This isn't a matter of judgment, but I believe that every single one of us as individuals need to change the speaker of the house because there's a lot going on in our lives that is going on unchallenged. We, we, wonder, why, we wonder why it rains. Maybe God cries. At one point in time, I actually still... It is not okay. It's just simply not okay. This is not an attack on any particular group. It's not okay to have homosexual ministers in church. That's not okay. Now, it's not that we don't love people that have that orientation or anything like that. That's not what the problem is. The problem is we've allowed the borders to be relaxed. We've allowed things to sneak in. I know a lot of, I actually really do know a lot of homosexual people. I think they're great people. God's doing a great work amongst that community. All of that is fine. But the speaker's fallen asleep but the speaker's fallen asleep in our own lives. We've allowed things to creep into our own lives. And Romans chapter 6 is a call to wake up the speaker and who it is that is governing, maybe change the speaker. Which brings me to the first verse that I'd like to speak about. Verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. We'll cover that in a moment. To make you obey its passions. Let not sin reign. First thing that we must do, if you're taking notes today, is we must not let sin reign. We must not let it have control. We must not let it have the rule. And we must not let it have the influence. Paul uses the word therefore. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Whenever there is a therefore in scripture, we have to pause long enough to ask what it is there for. And it is therefore because Paul is appealing to everything that he's just told us. Paul is reverting back to everything. Therefore, because you've been united with Christ, because you've changed realms now, because because you've been crucified with Christ and you no longer have to, this is the revelation for all of us, we no longer have to do what sin tells us to do. Before we go any further, and we're going to unpack this, you don't have to do what God tells you to do either. You have a choice. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. I'm going to make a statement which most people with a 
few letters after their name may disagree with, but I want everybody here to know this morning that uh, the problem with our sin areas in our lives, we all have them, by the way, we all struggle in areas, and nobody here is exempt from it. It might be different, it might look different, but nobody's exempt from struggling and warring against things in our lives. So don't think that you're the only one here this morning. We're we're all got what Paul says, the mortal body, but we're going to get to that in a moment. I want everybody in this room to know you, nobody here lacks willpower. Everybody in this room has got every bit of willpower you need to overcome anything in your life that you want to. What you lack is motivation. What we all lack from various times is motivation. Let me unpack that. The... Willpower is like a car. You've got the wheels, you've got the body, you've got the doors, you've got the trim, everything's looking good. Uh, If you've really got a good car, it's got a Ford badge on the back. Don't get one with a Holden badge on the back. Don't. There there are Holden cars that need deliverance. If you ever saw that, what was the movie, Carrie? What was the movie with that car? Yeah, anyway, uh, that was, yeah, it was, it, there was a prophecy about Captivas. But, but willpower, and I want everybody to know here, you, everybody has got all the willpower you need. It's like having the car, but motivation is the engine that drives it. What Paul says here in chapter, verse 12, sorry, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You don't have a willpower problem, you have a passion problem. motivation and passion will cause you to do things that people think is outlandish. Let me give you an example. Some people here know that every now and again, I tend to go fishing. And when we were in Tasmania, the same things happened here. Um, Me and Ruben would go fishing once a week. Now, a typical fishing day for us in Tasmania was up at 3am in the morning. We would park the car just before daylight we would walk nine and a half to ten kilometres into the lake that we wanted to fish. Out of that nine and a half and ten kilometres, there's a four and a half kilometre trek straight up the side of the mountain. Then when you get to the top, it's another four and a half to five k's across the top. We would fish all day in this lake and then before dark, try to run across and (laughs) scoot back down the hill before it was too dark and you couldn't see two inches in front of you. We would get home, would we not, because daylight savings ends at 9.30 in Tasmania, would we be home before 11 at night? And then we'd be up for church the next morning. Well, we got the priorities sorted first. We got, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> now, we had a series of other fishermen in the church. We'd say, hey, look, you guys should come fishing. And they're like, well, what does that sound like? We, no. The minute I said 3am, they're like, No. If God wanted me to see the sunrise, he would have scheduled a little bit later in the day. Most of them said, you know. <laughs> but, but the first trip I took into a place called Weston's Lake, and I'll tell you, because none of you will walk in there. I, I don't tell people where my fishing spots are. But the reason is, uh, we went in one day on my birthday, and, and the whole lake glassed off. And I saw fins on trout that I haven't seen on whales. These fish were enormous. Why did I get up at three o'clock every morning? Why did I traipse 10 kilometres in and 10 kilometres out? Why did I hike up the side of a mountain to get into this lake? Because I had a motivation and a passion. I've seen the size of the fish in that lake. 
And when I read the book of Acts, which we're working through in Rock Reflections at the moment, when I read the book of Acts, I see a group of people, not just the apostles, I see a group of people that did extraordinary things because they had a passion to do so. They had a motivation to do so. I can remember struggling. How many years did I struggle with smoking? By the way, friends, I've got a confession to make. I used to love having a cigarette. When I was in the forestry, they used to say, how come you smoke so much? I said, you guys are alive because I smoke. They never asked again. I I can remember going to a doctor and he said to me, he said, you know what, don't tell me that you can't give up smoking. He said, just tell me that you don't want to. I said, fine, I don't want to. But when I wanted to, I gave up. I had a different motivation when I gave up. God did a deep work in my heart. If you're a smoker here this morning, welcome. We have the front row reserved for you. You can come and sit at the front row anytime you like. But I had a different motivation. And when my motivation changed, I had no problem giving up smoking. And we all have areas that we struggle with. But the biggest thing that we struggle with is a desire problem and it's a passion problem. The greatest advice I can give to you this morning is, yes, change the speaker of the house, but change what it is that you are passionate about. More importantly, change who it is that you're passionate about. I can remember uh, uh, as a young Christian, and if you saw me when I was first born again, man, I was was dumb. I said some stupid stuff. But... I can remember a pastor who was very patient with me by the name of Wilf. Uh, and I can remember him saying to me, listen, you've got the equation out. He says, just focus on filling yourself up with God. He said, and all these other things will just... The greatest bit of advice I've had in my life, I've always found that whenever I'm struggling with things, to stop focusing on what it is I'm struggling in and turn all of my focus upon Christ. And it's amazing how these things just don't take our attention anymore. You see, um, we go to great lengths sometimes at a church level to try and make Jesus more attractive. We'll, we'll just, more music, more lights, bigger band, more whatever it is. Uh, truth is, none of us can make Jesus any more attractive. The call of the gospel is to fall in love with him. What did Jesus say to Peter? I, I marvel in John chapter 21, Jesus, what Jesus didn't say to Peter was, I told you so. Jesus didn't say to Peter, uh, <clears throat> there's a denial problem here. No, no. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Because, because if we get that part sorted, Peter, everything else is going to be okay. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. And Douglas Moo, great commentator, Douglas Moo says that the, the, the highlight of that phrase, mortal body, by the way, in, that Paul uses here is... It's speaking about every part of us that interacts with the world around us. Not just our digits, but our, our emotions and our will and our attitudes. We, we allow, there are attitudes and motivations that have gone unchecked in our lives for far too long. We wonder why God can seem so absent at times when there's, when there's festering attitudes. And uh, I remember Francis Chan saying, uh, this can be a little bit confronting, he says, you know, he says, Francis Chan, if you don't know, checked out a church. He he had a church of 4,000 to 5,000 people in the Simi Valley. And, and literally one Sunday he stood up and said, I'm done, walked out. Now he's started a movement of, of house churches, which has its place. I don't think it's the be-all and end-all. But 
he, he got up one Sunday, but he said the realisation came that it had become all about one person and their gift when we had all these people with all of these gifts and, and, and he, be, he became aware of festering attitudes inside of himself. And he said, that's it. He said, I, I need to move on. And he did, he's doing some great work. Moving on. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Number one, do not let sin reign. Do not let it have its influence in your life. We're going to talk more about it as we move on. Verse 13, do not present your members. That's not church members. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. Number two, present yourselves to God. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and as your members to God as instruments for righteousness. What does it mean to present yourselves to God? We're going to talk more about this when we get to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 verses, great verses, where Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The problem with living sacrifices is they tend to jump on and off the altar. You ever notice that? I've noticed that in my own life. I know you guys have got it all sorted, but I notice at times, there's, where, there's times where I jump on the altar and there's times when I jump off. But the word present here, and I want to talk about uh, the verbs of the gospel now, but the word present here means to set beside. And I want to challenge everybody here today. Who have you set yourself beside? Who have you set your life beside? You see, Jesus comes with a message, a beautiful message, which talks about, uh, remember in Luke chapter 4, he stands up and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim many things, but one of them was the acceptable year of the Lord. And the acceptable year of the Lord was the Jubilee year. Every 50 years, we're going to talk about more of this in a moment, but, but every 50 years, everybody was set free. That's the message of the gospel. Everything is free. That's the message of Romans. That's the message of the gospel. Now... Now a relationship with God is not based on how good you are or how many rules you can keep. Praise God for that. I haven't been able to keep rules very well since I was in school. Ask all of my teachers, they'll tell you. But, but now everything's free. Uh, now we are, uh, you can have your sin removed, you can have a relationship with God, you can, you can be free from sin. You can, all of these wonderful things, and we're going to unpack the full message of what salvation is as we work through Romans. All of it is free, but here's... Here's the irony of the gospel. It'll cost you everything. There are a number of verbs in the Bible that relate to our salvation. Here's one of them, believe. John uses that word 99 times in his gospel and every time he uses it, he uses it as a verb. It is casting all of our care and attention. It is casting all of our reliance. It is casting all of our trust upon Christ. That's what it means to believe. Here's some other verbs of the the gospel. Uh, Present, render, offer. There's a big one. There's a big one that sums them all up. And here's the one thing, here's the call of the gospel that everything uh, comes down to that we must do. Uh, C.S. Lewis highlighted as well. We must surrender. If you want to know what it is that you must do in response to Jesus Christ, surrender. 
And what Paul has done here is when he uses the word present yourselves to God, he uses it in a Greek tense which is called aorist. And for the scholars amongst us, and I'm not one of them, for the scholars amongst us, the aorist tense in Greek, Mike might know what this is, but the, 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 the aorist tense has no ending, which means the presentation of ourselves, the surrendering of ourselves is a daily activity. It's, a, it's speaking about the here and now. There's, there's no cutoff point. Put number two thing that we must do is we must present ourselves to God. Surrender to him. C.S. Lewis says the call of the gospel is for us as the rebels of God to lay down our arms and come to Christ. The third one's going to be the most important one this morning that I want to speak about. If we come down to verse 15, Paul's going to ask this question again. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under the grace? By no means. He asks the question, he answers it again. What does it mean to be under grace? What is the effect of being under grace? I'm glad you asked. By no means. Verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... Underline that word, slaves. Then you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death. By the way, before you, isn't it interesting how if we really lift the lid on sin and we take it to its conclusion, it, it never produces any good in our lives. It smells good. Thoughts might be pleasing. But it's not long before we realise that the fruit is death. Or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Underline that sentence. That's enormous. Third thing we must do, and then I'm going to unpack what it means. Third thing we must do is we must become bondservants of Jesus Christ. Back in, uh, everybody knows about the civil war that happened. In, I wrote about this in the pastor's comments um, some weeks ago. Everybody will know about the civil war that happened in America. Everybody will know that uh, the African-American people at that point in time were uh, mostly uh, slaves. Now, what it meant to be a slave uh, or in those times was it meant that you were the property of somebody else. Now, if I had a slave or if you were my slave and you were my property, which meant you did what I told you to do. You did what I told you to do. You did it how I told you to do it. I reprimanded you however I wanted to reprimand you. I treated you however I wanted to treat you. I fed you whatever I wanted to feed you because you were my property and being a slave meant you just shut up and did what you were told. You were an inferior human being. Praise God for Abraham Lincoln. Praise God for William Wilberforce that abolished the slave trade, or him and some other people. What a despicably disgusting way to treat somebody else. But that was America at that time. Abraham Lincoln, and we know that the Civil War all starts, North, South, Confederate, whatever, at the moment, that's unimportant. But what happens is a victory happens and slavery is abolished in America. It becomes illegal to have slaves. In America, the bill is passed, the law is passed, it is stamped, done. Something really profound and amazing happened after that. 
although the law had been passed, although every one of those slaves were free and could walk out of those houses any time they liked, they stayed under slavery. They allowed their tyrannical bosses to convince them that no such law had been passed. That's not what it meant. You're still my property and my slave. And all the time in Parliament, the whole thing's been signed and they're free. That sounds like so many of us. That sounds like so many people today that are following Jesus. They are enslaved. They are allowing themselves to be convinced that that's all they're worth. They're allowing themselves to be convinced that because of what I do, I'm an inferior human being. We covered that at communion. You're not inferior. Your value in God's sight is not based on what you do or what you do not do. Why? Because when you were his worst enemy, he sent Jesus. Jesus walked up the hill of Calvary when every one of us hated him. And the bill was passed, and the empty tomb is a declaration of this. You're free. You don't have to be a slave anymore. So what now? What now, pastor? I've been set free. I'm not a slave to sin. What now? We become bondservants of Christ. You'll read throughout the epistles. You'll read in James's epistles. You'll read in Peter's epistle. You'll read in Paul's epistles. They will say, we are a slave of Jesus Christ. Well, hang on a second. I don't want to go from one form of slavery to another. Let me unpack what they meant. The word in the Greek for slave there is bondservant. A bondservant is different to a slave. Why? A slave says, I do because I must. Bond servant says, I do because I choose to. And in biblical times, the difference between a slave and a bond servant was a slave had a contract. You are, uh, by the way, slavery in the Bible is not quite how we understand it. It was an employee employer relationship that we would understand. That's the best way we would understand it. There'd be contracts. After seven years, sometimes after 14 years, uh, you would be set free from that contract. Okay, you're no longer my slave. Uh, I've paid you my dues. You've paid me your dues. You're free. But something amazing sometimes happened where that slave would go, you know what? I like working for you. I like living here. You treat me really well. I'm going to stay because I choose to. And they automatically become a bond servant. And there was a ceremony that took place where in the middle of the town, you would have your ear pierced and an awl put in your ear. If you go to cafes in Melbourne, they're all bond servants. You notice they've got, they've got stuff stuck everywhere and man buns. I don't, think, I don't think I've got any hope for a man bun. There's no fear of a man bun from the, from the pool. And that told everybody that saw you that you are a servant. And... When we get grace, the difference that grace makes in a person's life is it says, I want to serve Jesus. I want to live my life for Jesus. I want to present myself to Jesus. Uh, grace, Grace removes the best way to understand it when it comes to sin. Grace removes the, I'm not doing that because I... 
I, I must not do that. It changes that sentence to, I don't want to do that. It changes a very powerful sentence in Genesis. Joseph is in Potiphar's house. We all know the story of Joseph. We unpacked that while you guys were all in your pyjamas at home. But, but the story of Joseph, I mean, here's a guy that gets thrown into a pit, dragged into Egypt, sold into slavery, ends up in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him. And uh, he, Potiphar's away. You know, nobody would have ever found out. And she scruffs hold of him and uh, uh, tries to be a little bit seductive. And he says, I love the words of Joseph here. What Joseph didn't say was, he didn't say, how could I possibly, Potiphar might find out. That's not what he said. He said, he didn't say, what if Pharaoh finds out? No, no, no. Joseph said, how could I do this thing before God? How could I do this thing and sin before God? You see, grace changes everything. As we're going to see, by the way, um, a relationship with God in Genesis was still all about faith and it was still all about grace. Romans 9, we'll get there. A slave says, I must, therefore I do. A bondservant says, I choose to, but don't have to. Ever wondered the question? I have people ask me this question sometimes. You know, if God's in control and God knew everything that was going to happen, and why did God put the tree in the garden? Ever wondered that? Why did, why did God put the tree in the garden? The reason is, the minute God put the tree in the garden, our relationship with God had to be, I choose you, God, not that tree. Very sinful people in Tasmania, because it's the apple isle. (laughs) That's why we left, because we... The reason the tree was put there was God did not create robots. And love is, devo- is defined, the parameters of love are defined by choice. For the married couples in the room, you are married and you're in that relationship, not because you, ha- well, you have to now, but in the beginning you chose to. And what what happens in marriage is two people say, of all the other choices, I choose you. And what bond servants do is they say, Lord God, for all the choices I've got, for all the things I could do with my day, I choose you. I don't care what the world says, Jesus. I choose to serve you. I don't care if they hate me, Jesus. I I choose to serve you. I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care any of those things anymore. Why? Because I choose you. Grace will do an enormous, enormous transformation on on your heart. You see, the term under law and under grace, under grace is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. Under law is used 14 times. And it's used in context like this. Jesus was born under the law to redeem those under the law 
That's us. The law that says I have to be good enough before God can accept me, the law that says my relationship with God is based upon how good I am and, and it's not based on anything like that. It's based on how good he is. Ravi Zacharias said it beautifully. Uh, Jesus did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And every one of us have value in the sight of God despite what we do, but because of who we are. Three things we must do as we finish off. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Present yourselves to God and become bond servants of Christ. Those who willingly from the heart say, God, I want to fall in love with you. I surrender to you. Let's pray. Father, we are becoming increasingly aware of the wondrous glory that rests in the person of Jesus Christ. The more we see, the more we are actually speechless. Lord, we love you. We choose you. We want to be bond servants for you. Help us, Lord, I pray, to change our motivations and to change our passions. Help us to fall more in love with Jesus. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of every single one of us to the enormous, profound truth that rests in grace. That we find your favour, Lord God, before we have done anything. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.